0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. New series in a new year, and uh, we had an appetizer last Sunday, preface, if you will. Uh, the title of our series for the beginning of the year is Prayers, quite simply. And uh, what we're going to be doing is challenging you to join us uh, for 21 days of prayer and fasting. And some of you this morning, I know, you right away, you don't even know what fast is. You think it has something to do with speed, and that's okay. Um, you, you might know that it's, there's some spiritual component to that as well, and, you, and then you, you might realize, well, I don't know how to do it or what to do. That's okay. We're going to make it really simple. Um, we're going to make it really easy for you to participate um, because prayer is, is so much of what drives the body of Christ. Right. It, it really is. And, I mean, you, we have systems, and we have volunteers, and we have people, and we have worship teams, and we have... We, you know, we have leaders and we have all these things, but really, when it when it comes right down to it, prayer is what moves the hand of God, and um, and so we want to do that because we have a lot of things on the go. We we have we have a lot of vision for this for this house. We have vision in our city for our city, and uh, and and there's a lot of work to be done. And so uh, we want to kick off this year with that. And as you pay attention today, you're going to realize, oh, I can participate, and it's actually not that hard. And um, I'll go through uh, as much as I can in the time we have today. Uh, but I want to start with this. The title of the, mes- the, the message is, is in this statement that I want to share with you. And I think this is, uh, if we can call it this, this is our rule for life. Okay? rule for life are the first four words of the Bible. Anybody want to know what those are? Let's put them on the screen. In the beginning, God. This is a life principle, and if you can understand this, and if you can adapt this and make this a part of what you do every day from this day forward, I I promise you, you're going to see some interesting things happen in your life that weren't happening before. Why? Well, it's the secret to a, a happy and fulfilled life, understanding that in the beginning, God, because everything begins with God everything uh, and of course we understand that maybe theologically doctrinally philosophically we understand that well we we've read our bible we know that in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth but in the beginning god created everything in the beginning god there was just him and so to put God at the beginning of everything in our life, therefore, is to bring our lives back into alignment with the way He was in the beginning, the way He did everything in the beginning. Put God first at the beginning, if you will, of your marriage, put him at the beginning of your relationship, put him at the beginning of your of your entrepreneurial effort, put him at the beginning of your of your meal, put him at the right, just whatever you have, put God at the beginning of that, and you you will see that principle begin to transform some amazing things into your life, and it's, it's very exciting. Um, everything in the Bible was actually built on this principle. That's why it's the first of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Why? Well, because God in the beginning... There's no room for other gods in front of the one who was at the beginning of it all. And just to be clear, gods doesn't mean other religions, which as Christians you're also not allowed to have, to be clear. But but gods isn't, isn't meaning other religions. It's the small g. And, and I want to explain that to you, that it means your, maybe it would be best to think of it this way, your loves, your passions, your interests. Because what we're seeing in our world today, and I think it's what, what we've always seen in the world, long before you or I were born, I think this is humanity 101, is we have other loves, passions, priorities, interests that constantly are stepping in front of God. And those are the things God is confronting in that first commandment. You will have no other gods before me. See, because our Heavenly Father is not insecure. You understand that, right? Like, God doesn't say something like this to us because He's worried you're going to worship at some other altar and somehow it will displace Him. No, what God gave us the commandments for was for our benefits. So that we would have life and know life. The New Testament teaches it in depth that the Old Testament, the law, was a teacher. And we were under its tutorship until Jesus could come. And so this is our our reality that there can be nothing in front of God because in the beginning, God. And that's really all there is to it. That's why it's a principle for life. So God, um, God doesn't mind us having other interests. God doesn't mind us having other loves. Can you imagine how messed up it would be if God was such a jealous lover of who I am that he couldn't tolerate my love for my wife? Right? So that's, it's absurd that that people, and and sometimes people do think this, you know, they they do think this, that 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 means there is no other human being. And and in a, I want to say this right so you can't run amok with what I'm telling you this morning. I can't love my wife more than I love God. But God is not threatened by my love for my wife, or my children, or for you, for that matter. In fact, God is so secure that he, he does actually command us to love each other. So God, again, God is not insecure. In the beginning, God. God does not ask. God does, not only is it that God doesn't have a problem with you having other loves, interests, passions in your life, but they need to fall in the right place of priority. God is also never going to ask anything of you that he hasn't given you first. Amen. Now this is a tough one for some people because we live in a world where human beings think they are self-made, self-created, self-realized, self-whatever, and that's all a bunch of, of uh, tavro shitzo <clears throat> You have to go way back in a podcast or a video to, to understand. Uh, tavro is the Greek word for bull, and the word "shitzo" is the Greek word for poop. Which is totally a made-up Greek word, just, just to be clear. It's totally made up. But God does not ask anything. In reality, people, God does not ask anything of you that he hasn't given you first. Think about it. We sing about it. It's his breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise. And really, I mean, where did your breath come from? And I understand that we can kick into a whole philosophical debate and argument about this, but, uh, but, but, but everything that God has given us is what He requires of or asks of us from. So He's not out of, of, out of alignment when He asks us to be the beginning of what we do. The beginning of our day, the beginning of our year, the beginning of our week, the beginning of our marriage, the beginning of our business. You get it. The reason why God can require And my kids know this because they live in my house and everything they have is because of me and Or their grandparents in some cases Um, But even then still you know, it's because of me that they have grandparents (laughs) Think about that for a second It's true. I Don't ask anything of my children that I actually haven't given them Chores I know that's their favorite thing uh, their, their stuff. Just, just understand how very simple this is this morning. It's very, very, very simple. And what did God give us that's of such high value that would give him the, uh, the right, that would allow him to have the audacity to ask anything of us? Well, he gave us Jesus. And Jesus cost everything. And I don't know if you can wrap your mind around this or not, but I'd invite you to try. God gave us the only thing that could cost him everything. which was himself, Jesus, the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. God is not asking anything from you that he hasn't given you. He gave you your life. He gave you your breath. He gives you, he gives you speech. He gives you senses. He gives you awareness. And God actually wants to be put first. And this is the principle of first. The principle of first runs throughout the whole Bible. Whether you're a Christian, a believer this morning or not, your life is marked by your priorities. And the first things in your life is what will have power in your life. Whatever you prioritize will have power in your life. And this is one of the interesting things. So I want to give you three ways to apply this principle of first as we're going along here this morning. Give God the first of everything. And in our church, and in many churches, most often, you'll, you will connect that reference or that statement to something about tithing or money or giving. And that's good, because money and your heart are tied very, very closely together. But it is bigger than that. It's, a, it's, it's about the priority of everything in our lives. Leviticus 27.30, just a quick reference for you. A tithe of everything from the land, whether the grain from the soil or the fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Holy means not perfect, but it means set apart. Making it special, because God has set it apart. And when it comes to giving, the tithe is not nearly, about as, nearly as much about the amounts that we give, but about the priority that we give it in. And, and I... I you know, church, you, you hear us say this all the time. We touch on giving. We touch on money two minutes every single Sunday. And we do that because your heart and your money are tied together. And Jesus wants to address that in our lives. Your heart will follow where you put your treasure. And, and it's, so it's not the, see it's not the 10th that makes it holy to the Lord. It's actually the position and the priority that we give to God in that makes it holy. So I would say it this way, very simplistically. If you're going to tithe, and you wait until the end of everything to give 10%, I'm not saying it's wrong, and I'm not, I'm not making a condemning statement, but you're not understanding the priority of first. That in the beginning, God. Because when we give what belongs to God at the end... The problem is we didn't give what belongs to him first. And we have a little tradition in my house. We we don't practice it anymore because the kids are all big enough now. Some of you do the same thing. But when your kids are young and they bring you that can of Coca-Cola or whatever it was and they need help to open it, we had a principle in our family that uh, dad gets the first sip. It's the right I have as the father for providing that beverage and then also for the, the service of opening it so they could enjoy it, right? So dad gets first sip. And, um, and, and you know, it's just kind of a funny little thing. But, but, but there's honor in that. And there's gratitude that's developed in that. And there's positional awareness developed in that. And I would love to tell you that Amy and I were super intentional. We're like, we're doing this funny little thing with our family so that they will understand the kingdom of God better. No, mostly, I wanted a drink of that before they got their sloppy lips all over it, right? That's all it's really about. I do not want whatever viruses they're carrying. They are, little kids are gross, and we love them. They're disgusting, and we hug them. But, you know, none of us, Wow, well, that's not true. I know there's some moms in this place where you will do amazing things for the welfare of your children, and God bless you for that. I will not let their runny nose touch my face. Just me. And I still love my kids, okay? Um... But the first is the first, and the first belongs because the first is best. So the first has to belong to God. In your marriage, some things have to come first for them to have true value. If intimacy in your marriage is the last thing that you bring to your marriage, you don't have the right kind of intimacy. Right? Sometimes compliments given a month late aren't really compliments anymore. Who's been there? Sometimes a thank you that should have been offered right away, gratitude, when it's deferred, loses its punch. It loses its value. If I gave you, you oh David, if I gave you a million dollars and you waited a year to say thank you to me, how valuable would the thank you be? I would submit to you all that it wouldn't be as valuable. Because a million dollars would be a significant impact in his life, and he should have gratitude for that right now. These are important things to teach our children. More importantly, they're things we need to teach ourselves. So put God first, because in the beginning, God. The purpose of tithing in Deuteronomy 14, verse 23, the purpose of tithing is to teach you and I always to put God in the first place of our lives. And by the way, if you go along and read that for context, It's so that you learn to enjoy the presence of the Lord because you made Him the priority. And in Leviticus 14, it's actually one of my favorite chapters of the law because it talks about how you go about bringing your tithe. And, you know, in the Old Testament times, everybody farmed, everybody planted the food that they ate. They didn't have grocery stores. I know some of you are blown away. They also didn't have cellular phones. They didn't have a lot of the things, right? And so... um, the way it worked was is you would bring your, you'd bring your tithe, you'd bring your sacrifice, your offering. And One of the offerings, by the way, in the Old Testament was called the offering of first fruits. There it is again. You would bring it to the house of God or to the, to the place of sacrifice. And then there's this provision that you'll find if you read in the book of Leviticus. If it's too far for you to go, if it's too far for you to bring your animals to the place of sacrifice... Then what you were to do is you were to sell the animal. And now listen to this. You were to take that money, and the Bible says you had to bind it to your hand. And then you would go to the place of celebration, and you would buy the appropriate animal. And actually, I think as I was reading it this morning, I, I want to misquote myself here. But, but as I read it this morning, it jumped out at me that you could actually buy what you wanted. You could buy a sheep, or you could buy a calf, or a goat. And then you were to kill it and eat it in the presence of the Lord. So here's the thing that I want you to understand. God gives us everything we have because in the beginning, God, he's the source of all things. And then he asks us to return those things that belong to him. And then as we return what belongs to God, he in turn gives back to us. Whether it be life, forgiveness, sustenance, God is always interested in giving something back to us because he's a good father so again it's not about the 10 percent it's not about the extra it's not about the giving to the poor it's where are you prioritizing what you do with God and money is just the the real simple one to talk about because I think I'd like to talk to you about the first of your day the first of your year first of your month maybe so the real principle is about first things. I want to show you four places to put God first, and we'll talk through these real quick. The first of my year. The first of my year. We always start this year. Amy and I start the year for many, many, many years now, waiting on the Lord for a word, like, like, uh, like literally our word. We're like god we want something this year that we can run under that we can have vision under that we can let it kind of govern what we see what we do how we think we want a fresh word from you god every single year some years it's really easy some years we have to contend for that just so you know it's not like you just build a system and it, everything is is easy after that but we start that year we start the year as a church with prayer and with fasting and if you can think of it this way, it's a sort of first fruits offering to God. We start this year as a church family, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Today, January the 8th to January the 28th. And I know that presents some problems right away. Some of you are thinking, well, how am I going to go without eating? Because Manfrance starts on like the 27th or 26th. How will we do that? Well, let's talk about it. And, and you're going to find out that we're going to, we're gonna be, able to we're gonna be able to figure it out. Uh, so I know, I, I know in today's, even in the church today, there are many, many people who do not understand what fasting is. As I said, some of you think it's about speed, and it's, it's not. Um, I have a few good books to recommend, and uh, you can find those. Um, we'll, we'll have those. I'll have a, a reading list for you. I can't remember the name of the book even that we brought here this morning all of a sudden. Pray First, Pray First um, by Chris Hodges. It's a great, great little book. Um, We're not preaching out of it or anything like that, uh, but it is just a great book to read to start off your new year. You can get it on Amazon. We were only able to secure a couple copies uh, immediately, so that's all we have. But listen, here's what a lot of people are doing. Rather than praying first, what many, many people do is they worry first, they complain first, they fight first, come on, argue first, save first, preserve first. And you can probably think of a few more words that you added. I just need you to understand this morning, church, that that is actually not God's pattern for our lives. In the beginning, God, and so let's start our year with that. If God was in the beginning at the beginning of all time, why shouldn't God be in the beginning of our year? So, the Bible does show a few different types of fasting. Um, One would be what we might call a complete fast or a total fast. Um, That's the fast that calls for drinking only water. That's it. Nothing but water. By the way, that's the type of fast Jesus did in the wilderness for 40 days. I I will tell you, I have never done a 40-day fast on water only. I know it's hard to tell by my extreme physique. But <laughs> wow. Okay. Whoever laughed, I want you to write their names down and quietly give it to me after church, people. <laughs> I've never done a 40-day fast. I was I knew a gentleman who did it and quite frankly, it almost killed him. Oh, my wife did a 40-day fast before we were married though, right? Yeah. Um, And that, it's a hard fast. That's hard on your physical body. It's hard to work a job. Guys, some of you guys who work vigorous jobs, that would be a very difficult accomplishment. for you. In fact, it would be a supernatural accomplishment for you to be able to do that without being hospitalized or, I don't know, losing your job or something. Um, but we have the complete fast, so that's drinking really only water. And then from there, we see some different fasts that can, that can happen. Um, sometimes people will add light juices or broth to that, you know, some electrolytes just to keep themselves going. Uh, that type of fast, uh, let me be very clear, that type of fast should be done with medical consultation, like your doctor. Because if you're diabetic or if you, are, if you have some other condition, I mean, th- these things are, I mean it's pretty, it's a pretty serious undertaking. We don't want people to fall over, fall ill, hurt themselves. Um, But that's a total fast. That's what it looks like. And there are certain persons who should never, ever, ever probably do that fast. I mean, unless Jesus shows up in your bedroom and says, I want you to do a 40-day fast, even though you're blah, blah, blah. Um, So just use plain and good sense and be honest with yourself because it can be easy to say, well, I'm not called to that sort of fasting. And never, ever do it, even though you're just making an excuse. So you've got to be honest with yourself. Um, well, Let's move on to the, there's, a, there's something we would refer to as a selective fast. Okay? Selective fast is the type of fast that, rev- that, that involves removing uh, certain elements from your diet, maybe. Um, and the best uh, biblical example of that would be what we call a Daniel fast, which is what Daniel approached the king about and said, hey, would it be okay if we don't eat all the other stuff your other guys are eating, we want to... We're going to eat just vegetables. And so we refer to that as a, a Daniel fast, so you'd remove meat, sweets, bread from your diet. I mean, half of us do that for half the year anyways when we do keto, right? Except for with the meat part. But anyways, uh, consume lots of water, juice, fruits, vegetables, and then we go from a selective fast. And there's a partial fast. And this fast is sometimes called a jewish fast where certain meals are skipped now this is the most common fast for me to practice where i can i can avoid having a meal and i would spend that time in prayer and and by the way prayer and fasting need to go together they're linked together because if you just fast without prayer you're just starving yourself and there while there might be some benefit to that like weight loss that might be the only benefit um, maybe before we go farther I'll just take this little rabbit trail you see what fasting does thats so unique and interesting is is it it, it literally takes away provision from the flesh yeah, right. Bible actually says make no provisions for the lust of the flesh and we understand you know that you make provisions for the lust of the flesh if you're addicted to pornography and you keep bringing pornography into your life you're making a provision for that lust literally and so what happens is when we fast, we're telling our physical, our carnal body that will pass away, um, you need to become weak because the spirit needs to become strong. Very simply how that works. And, and you, you, might, you might choose to, to pick that apart. I don't, I don't really care. That's what's happening. You're weakening your flesh and you're strengthening your spirit because the Bible tells you this about your spirit and your flesh, that the spirit constantly makes war against your flesh. And your flesh is always in conflict with your spirit. Somebody raise your hand and say, yeah, that's my life. Right? Every single day of the human life is filled with that conflict between the spirit and the flesh in us. And it's a good thing, by the way, because if there was no war going on inside of you, it means that there is no spirit of God inside of you. That's the reason there's conflict, right? Because you are who you are and you're, in your, you're living in your, your sin and our moral corruption and all these things. But the Spirit of God comes into our lives when we accept Jesus, not just as our Savior, but as our Lord. And this miraculous thing takes place. The Spirit of God, we become His habitation. He lives in us. We are the only, Christianity is the only faith on planet Earth, by the way, where the creator of the being says, I'm going to come and live inside the being. It's the only one. It's amazing. And because of that, there is constant struggle until the day comes where we're made perfect in the presence of Jesus. So that's what's going on when you fast. You're starving the flesh, you're you're weakening the flesh, and you're strengthening the spirit. That's why it's so important to pray. If you simply weaken your flesh and do nothing to strengthen your spirit during a season of fasting, you will not do better than when you started. Because you're actually not putting God first. You're not applying in the beginning God. So the partial fast, Jewish fast, as I was saying, certain meals, sometimes you fast one day, all day, sometimes you might fast all day for many days in a row, eating only the evening meal. uh, That's a common example. And then finally, maybe the one that more of you will participate in than any other uh, will be what we would call a soul fast. And I feel like this is kind of a new thing, uh, largely because of like, I don't know, technology, uh, it's always around us, and, and, we, and, and so a soul fast is some part of a fast where we do on days where we, where we separate ourselves from all of those other outside influences. So maybe social media, movie, the news. You get away from life as usual, and, and you have special times. You have intentional times of prayer and intercession you replace a meal maybe you 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 know you you take some time away from Jesus the Bible says Jesus would often go out to lonely places to pray and so we would do the same thing my favorite thing to do is get out into the bush by myself and just talk to God to just be alone in his presence with nothing but winter around me it's a great it's a great experience Uh, so we also need, when fasting, whatever kind of fasting we're doing, we ought to be spending extra time in God's Word. So if you normally read for, I don't know, five or ten minutes a day, when you're fasting, you should read more than that. Again, because we're weakening our flesh, we're making this choice to say, no flesh, you don't get the things you want. Spirit, you get an all-you-can-eat buffet. With with Holy Spirit, garlic-fried shrimp, I mean, however you want to think about it to make it better for you, it's we're feeding the spirit man, and we are weakening the carnal man. Okay? That's, that's it. So the first of our year, this is what we'd like to do as a church. But then there's also the first of the month, because in the beginning, God. And so the first of the month, we, we might, in practical terms, take time to review our finances. That's a wise thing to do. How did we do last month? We spent too much. Okay, we need to spend less. Uh, Setting up our schedules for meetings for travel. The beginning of every single month, I look through my calendar and I see how my calendar is filling out in the coming weeks. So I have an idea of where we're going to be running because with four kids and sports and high school and junior high school and, and a farm and a church and lots of other hobbies and everybody's going everywhere, we're a disorganized, chaotic mess if we don't sit down once in a while and say, "Where are we going?" right? Yeah. Some of you, this is totally foreign to you, and I can tell, Be- because you are literally running around like a chicken with its head cut off. And if you would just take the time to say, in the beginning, "God, and this beginning. month, what does it look like? What do my finances look like? What does my schedule look like? Where am I traveling to?" Who am I prioritizing? I have a girlfriend. I really like her. I think she could be the one, but I don't seem to have time to put into the relationship. Dude, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Prioritize her. <laughs> Come on. Because if you don't prioritize her, oh my gosh, that's a whole other message. It actually probably turns into pastoral counseling and you taking up my time. Ugh frustration, more weight more weight gain, more hair loss, all the things, right? All right. So, but listen, you schedule, your, you schedule your meetings. You schedule your time with God. You schedule your time away. You schedule your time in your marriage. You schedule specific time with children who might be stru- struggling with certain things. You, you budget. You, you trust God with your finances. You think about how it's going to go. Some of you, you need to tithe for a year and see what happens. Well, that sounds an awful likely. You're telling us to test God, Pastor. Yes, I am telling you. Because he said, test me now in this. It's the one place, the one, one place you're going to find where God's saying, hey, you can learn to trust me here. Tithe for one ear. Try it. See, it takes a commitment this month for you to say, okay, we're going to try it. Okay, the, the third, the third, the first of my week, the first thing in my week, Worshiping and replenishing. What day of the week does the church gather? Sunday, Sunday, the first day of the week. There's a real... there's, there's a real movement these days I'm seeing in people's reels, in my reel, um, you know, the social media that comes through. There's a lot of folks talking about, oh, the church, the church, the church, and why has the church forsaken the Sabbath? Just to be clear, the church has not forsaken the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, which we understand to be Saturday. We've also entered a Sabbath rest. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus pointed out that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so we have a different relationship with the Sabbath than they did in the Old Testament. All that being said said there is still plenty of room for the life-giving principle of sabbath rest in your life and you should take saturday and you should rest and you should read god's word and you should enjoy time with people and you should not do laborious things and sunday is not the sabbath what and some people are actually having a hard time with this sunday is not the sabbath Sunday is the first day of the week. Why does the church gather on Sunday? Because Sunday was the day Jesus rose from the dead. That's why the early church met on the Sunday. And continued to. Most of those early Christians who were Jewish and who were followers of Jesus celebrated the Sabbath. And then they gathered at the day of resurrection to worship Jesus. It's interesting. I've said this before. That we have traditionally in North America a five-day work week. Because you can work for five days That you can rest for a day and that you can be in church on a day. Just interesting. But the first of your week, you need to take a day and set that day aside to replenish, focus, and prepare for the week because it will make a difference. The first of my week, worshiping, Sunday's a good day. Not that it's only once a week, but make the commitment to be in church. Make the commitment to be in church. Yeah. Well, I don't want it, Pastor Trev. It's always sad for me. It's always crickets at this part, right? <laughs> well, what if I want it? What if you want to? You are going to want to do a lot of other things. Right. You are going to want to sleep in. That's, by the way, one more little rabbit trail. I got a few minutes. I um, was reading in the book of Genesis. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And we all know that part, I think. But here's the part you probably missed. There was evening and morning the first day. Evening and morning was the first day. What does that tell us? So just just my thought. This is a free thought for you this morning. I think it's good, though. There was evening and morning. That was the first day. And what is God's priority for us? See, when I lay my head down to rest at night, it's because tomorrow is coming. Here's our problem, church. Too many of us are laying our head down tonight to rest from what happened today. Just think on this. The Sabbath is the seventh day, the last day, because God himself rested after all his work on the seventh day. And so there's two kinds of rest I want to point out to you in this process. The Sabbath rest comes once a week, and we should rest from our labor. But when I go to sleep tonight, it's not to rest from today. It's to rest for tomorrow. And you know what greets me first thing in the morning after I rest is the new mercy of God. Because his mercies are new every morning. That is such an exciting thing to me. I wish it was more exciting for you. (laughs) Because I think if church, I think if you make that shift, I think in this year, if you make that shift, some things are going to align differently for you. You know, it happens. We like it too. Once in a while, I can, and I'm a morning person, so maybe it's not fair to compare you to me because I really am a morning person. Um, but, but when people say, I want to, oh, I just need to sleep in so bad. I need to sleep in so bad. It's not that that's a horrible thing. Just the Bible does say a sluggard loves sleep. Um, <laughs> just, I'm just teasing. You needed some comic relief. I'm not, I'm not accusing you of anything. Um, but it does say it, so there is that. Um, Just, just, just imagine for a moment if you could just shift the principle and priority of life and get there. What would happen to you if tonight when you laid down your head to rest, it wasn't to hide from today, but it was in preparation for the great thing that God wants to do tomorrow? It's a totally different way of thinking. Teenagers, this will blow your mind and revolutionize your life. And that way when you're in your 40s and you have to pee at 4 o'clock in the morning, you'll be ready for all that. It'll be good for you. <laughs> be much, much easier for you, okay? Um, Anyways, that was for the first of the week. I've kind of muddied my notes now. Can you believe that I would muddy notes when I preach? Uh, Let's move on to the fourth thing, and that is the first of my day. Almost was a good segue. The first of my day, how about something really simple? We've told you about this before, and I'm going to submit it to you again. Not just, hopefully, for your consideration, but for your action. Time with God. Time with God Time with God. Yeah. You need time with God. You will never change your life until you change something you do daily. Right. One of my sons, whose name starts with Jay, is meeting with <laughs> Coach Herb. And, and and Herb's simple advice, his simple coaching advice to Jakin is change something. Can you believe we pay for that. <laughs> Her, Herb, without a doubt. Hi, Herb. He's watching online this morning. I know he is. But, that, but that's, it's brilliant. It's so simple, and that's what a good coach says. Well, I want to change some things. Then change something. Change something. Change how you get up in the morning. Well, I'm a really grouchy person. Then drink a coffee or eat a snack right away. Like Do, do something different to, to change who you are and who you can become. You have to change something. You'll never change your life until you change something you do daily. And I would tell you this, give the first of your day, because in the beginning, God, give the first part of your day to God. Everyone can do this. We call it the first 15. Pastor Amy preached on this uh, some time ago, but it's the first 15. Spend five minutes in the Word, five minutes in your Bible. You can do a one-year Bible plan. There are tons of apps that do it. If you don't like the Bible app, you can do the Hollow app now because of of uh, of the the great Jesus movie that we all get to watch. Uh, I mean, there's options for you. You can believe it or not; these old paper Bibles they still work real good. Amen. And they're a comfort to the soul to flip through these these pages. You know, when they make these, they don't just they don't just print them out in a factory all willy nilly. There's people who pray over Bibles. Yeah. It's, it's not it's not just something that. That they just fire them out and whatever. This is the number one selling book in the history of the world. More of these have been bought and sold. It is unlikely that the record will ever be broken. And this word continues to be printed every single day. To be put into the hands of those who are seeking to know Jesus. You should spend five minutes in the Bible. And then you should spend five minutes in worship. Well, I don't like to sing. Well, okay, that might be true. Mostly, you don't like to sing in other front of people. Perfect, you're all by yourself. You are. So worship God. Well, I don't like, I don't like notes. Then rap. <laughs> I don't care. Do, do Worship God. Right. Worship Him. Did you know that there's a posture to worship that you can worship God in silence? It looks like this. This is a posture of worship. And it's a biblical posture. Mm -hmm. Kneeling, bending, bowing. Those fit into God's preferences for how he is to be worshipped. So it's okay if you don't like to sing. It's okay that you sing so badly that your own ears forbid you to sing. You can still worship. Because worship isn't just singing. You can clap your hands and worship. You can yell and you can worship. You can speak and you can be a worshipper. You need to spend five minutes of your morning in worship. And then finally, you need to spend five minutes in prayer. Just five minutes. This is a starting place. Only a few minutes. Offer thanksgiving to God. Because the amazing thing is, when you come to God with complaints, and this is often how it works, the Holy Spirit in you says, as I offer my complaints to God. You know, Lord, Jonathan Coles, his beard is so long. Really bothers me because my beard's not the, whatever my complaint. Obviously, this is a fake complaint, right? We hope. As soon as I begin to bring my complaint and my frustration to the Lord, often what happens is the Holy Spirit says, "Can you just express something you're thankful for?" So, because He's God, I say, "Okay." To be real honest with you. I'm thankful for this about my wife because honestly, she's the one who frustrates me a lot, right? I'm thankful for this. And you know what? You know what happens? It's like there's a train engine and then all of a sudden another car gets attached to that train. Oh well, yeah, I'm also thankful for that. And then comes the one that I realize she's smoking hot and I love her. And well, I'm really thankful for that. Some of you know, I know that some of you know this is how this works. And gratitude, once you offer it in the presence of God, gratitude has this strange ability to grow. And it's like more and more cars add to that train. Here's the problem with some of you guys praying. I can't pray very long. That's because you're not thankful. No, it's for real. It's actually not hard to pray long when you're offering thanksgiving. It's really not hard. And so that's where we need to bring ourselves to. Nothing will change, though, unless you change something about your daily routine. And so the, the first 15, everyone say the first 15. first 15. You can do it. Any of you can do it. You can train a three- or four-year-old to do this. I'm telling you, any of us can do this. And so when we do that, I want you to know that you're allowed to have an expectation. Because I think a lot of people in a lot of churches, they think somehow they get trapped in this religious thinking maybe, and we're afraid of prosperity doctrines, and we're afraid of, of asking God for too much. Andrew and I have talked about this over, over, over a few times now, where it's like, how do we dare to have the audacity to expect anything from God? But see, my expectation of God comes from my relationship with God. Yeah, that's right. And I can have expectations of God. And I want you to know that that when you have an expectation that God is going to bless your rest, God is going to bless your worship, God is going to bless your prayer, God is going to bless your time in His Word, what you do is you begin to mix some faith with your focus, and this expectation comes that maybe God is going to bless me. Here's what Proverbs 3, 6-10 says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Everyone should say amen to that. Because here's the problem with our world today. Everyone is wise in their own opinion, their own eyes. Major problem. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first place of all your products so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Here's what you can expect in response to that. God's Word speaks to it in Isaiah 588 9 says this. Here's what you can expect. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say... Here I am. Well, I want to pray like that. I want to have faith like that. You will never change unless you make the decision to change something. And church, I'm telling you, it is not a prosperity gospel. It is not some weird wonky doctrine to have an expectation. The Bible tells us that nobody puts a seed in the ground without expecting a harvest. None of us do that we sow into something, we are hopeful and aware and awaiting a return on what we put in the ground. And it's the same thing when you invest that first 15 with God. When you spend the time in this season of our life as a church and as individuals, when you submit this to the Lord, when you lean into Him, when you dare to fast, when you dare to pray, when you dare to worship and be in His Word, you can have an expectation that God will heal you, That his glory will be around you and your rear guard. And that whenever you call on his name, God will say, I'm here. And you know, most of us, when it comes right down to it, that's the one prayer we all want answered. God, I'm hurt, I'm frustrated, and I feel alone. And the greatest consolation has never been that God would solve all my problems. But that he would, in his presence, draw near to me. That's better than a cure for cancer. That's better than the resurrection of the dead. That the God who created all that is would come and give his presence to me. Because this life is just a short amount of time. In all eternity I have to be with him and with you. I'll break it down just a little bit more. The worship team can come back. Because you can expect something from God, and I want you to know that. We're not asking people to fast and pray in this church so that it benefits me. Right. Now, it will benefit me if you fast and pray. And I appreciate those of you who pray for pastors. It's so important. Pastors need you to pray for them. But, but, I, but I want you to know that there's a benefit to you. As God moves, as God ministers to people, as God saves people from hell, there's something profound and there's something wonderful that you can expect from Him. It's okay to do that. What it's not okay to do is pout when you don't get what you thought you should have. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's a confusing. Tori's chuckling away. because She sees it. she's been there just like I've been there. Sometimes we're like, well, pastor said I could have expectations, and now God has disappointed me again. Don't say that too quickly. Because the testimony collectively of all the saints, I think, when we meet everybody in heaven, is largely going to be, man, God's timing was right. It's not even that you're asking for the wrong thing. The book of James says it's because you ask with the wrong intentions. That's a fact. You can expect God to move when you fast and pray. You might not be right in your assumption about how he moves and that should be okay with you. After all, he's God. His thoughts are higher thoughts, and his ways are higher ways than yours or mine. You can expect God to do what's best for you regardless of how you see it in your now. Experience has taught me always, again, my thoughts are not as high, they're not as good, they're not as holy, they're not as pure, they're not as wise as his thoughts. And the way I think it should be done does not even compare, not even in terms of a shadow, does it compare to the way he gets things done. Because his thoughts are higher, his ways are higher than my own. Healing. The expectation you can have is healing. Because that's what it's said in the book of Isaiah. Healing is for something that is broken, something that is not right. Not necessarily a limb, not a physical body. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your own life. As you fast and pray, you are contending for healing for anything that's broken. And there's holiness. The holiest men and women of God I've ever had the privilege of meeting and walking with in my life are tremendous people of prayer. As I shared with you last week, our pastor that I worked with in Africa while I was over there, who fell on his face and beat the ground as one of our friend's teammates was run over by a big truck. We wanted to run towards him. This pastor, he falls his face in the sand, beating the ground, crying out on the name of Jesus. And that is why I think Mark, my friend, walked away from that. Literally walked away from something that should have crushed and killed him. We can pray and we should expect holiness to come into our lives as we pray. And holiness is needed in us because we are actually unrighteous. We are imperfect. Things, things need to be set back on the right course in our life. And it never stops. You might be sitting here this morning thinking, "I'm the only one who's off track. I'm the only one who's struggling with my secret sin. I'm the only one who's... I'm not. There's no way I can tell you. I would betray the trust of so many people to try and encourage you with the truth here. So you just have to take my word for it. You're not alone. Your struggle is everybody's struggle, for the most part. And even better than that, the Bible says that in Jesus Christ we have a high priest." who identifies with every one of our weaknesses. And so as we fast and pray, church, you can expect holiness to come to you as you spend that time with God, as you weaken the flesh, and as you build up and strengthen the spirit. Get some things set apart. Get some things back on track. Get some things back under the will of God on course to do those good things that he predestined for you. And finally, the last one we referenced in the book of Isaiah was help. And I think it's one of the most profound things that God has ever done for us, save the cross. Is that he has said he would be an ever-present help in our time of trouble. That That he says, he says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. You know what that is? It's grace. God's divine and merited favor is a blessing over your life. This morning, I imagine that we have people here who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Not just like we do every single Sunday. I know some of you old, tired church people, you might get tired of hearing this little gospel message preached at the end of every service, but it's not gonna stop. God loves you. You're separated from him because you're a sinner and you need to turn from that sin, but turning from that sin to just anything isn't the solution or anyone isn't the solution. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is the only way to the Father. You can say he's a lunatic, or you can say he's the Lord. But those are his words. And so what needs to happen is we need to put our faith and our hope in Jesus. We need to ask him to forgive our sin, and we need to turn from that sin and become a follower of who he is and who he is calling us to be. When we do that, we enter this amazing thing called new life. And there's actually, the Greek word is actually metamorphosis. You no longer are a tadpole, but now a frog. And I hope that's better for you. Or maybe you're a worm and you become a butterfly. Whatever you choose. But there needs to be a change in your life. And Jesus Christ is the answer for that change. Finally, you might be sitting here this morning. Maybe you need healing Maybe you're feeling particularly unholy today. Maybe you're feeling like you've missed everything that God has for you. Nothing will change until you change. And so this morning, maybe you just need to take a step and respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. We're gonna sing one last song, not to manipulate your emotions, not to make you feel something specific, but just to give you a moment of time to say, God, what are you saying to me today? And as we sing this last song, Members of our prayer team are going to come forward on either side of the front here and you can go to them and you can let them pray with you. You might have to borrow a little bit of faith this morning because you feel like you have none. You might have an issue that you haven't been able to talk to anyone about. You can share that. They will pray about that with you. You might want to make Jesus your boss today. We're really excited about that one. If that's the case, come and talk with one of the members of our prayer team. We'd love to have that conversation. Let's stand together. I want to pray for you. We'll sing this last song. And so Father, I thank you for every single person in this room this morning. I thank you for those folks who are watching online, near here and far from here. And Holy Spirit, as we once again put ourselves in a position to say, God, what are you saying to me, Lord? What do you want me to do? What do you have for me, God? Father, I pray that as each person asks that question, Father, that you will meet them this morning, that you will speak plainly to them, that you will speak clearly to them. God, that the power of your word that has gone out this morning would accomplish everything in their life that you intended to for this moment. As always, Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for Jesus and what he's done. And we love you. We want to worship you one last time today. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.